Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another week, another Monday evening, where we are set to explore today and tomorrow, this evening and tomorrow evening, the book of Genesis. We are in chapters, what, 41 and 42. We will wrap up chapter 41 this evening and get into chapter 42, if all goes as planned. On Wednesday, uh, Father Mike will be joining me, and we are going to talk about the movie, Won't You Be My Neighbor?, uh, Father Mike and I have been talking about this movie, this movie that really was uh, a hit, just not in the box office, but I know uh, a top movie. It has a high score on Rotten Tomatoes. So out from your request, Father Mike and I will be hitting that movie, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Of course, a story about Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, so I am looking forward to that. And on Thursday, I'm looking through your questions. If you have a question about the Catholic faith, don't hesitate to send your question my way at j-h-o-l-l-j-m-j at yahoo.com, or as always, you can go to joeholcraft.org. Just hit the contact link button there and send your message on its way. Uh, you know, I did get a question about my blogs. For those of you who have been to my website, I try to blog on a regular basis, and sometimes I just get so busy, I don't quite get to sit down at the computer desk and... <laughs> and blog as often as I would like, but the question that was posed to me was, can I send you subject matter to blog about? And yeah, certainly, if there's something on your heart and you want more than just the answer on air, but something maybe online, that would be fine if you want to send me your request. To, if it comes from you, and certainly if it comes from more than one person, that tells me it's it's on your heart and it's something I could and probably should be writing about, and hopefully what I'm blogging about is relevant to your experience. That's the whole idea of what a blog is all about, really meeting you where you are at and, and hopefully opening doors for you to better understand the Christian and Catholic faith. I, for one, often start my blogs based upon my own experience and out from my conversations with you. So to some extent, while I have never received an explicit request from you, I more or less use my conversations with you out there, the listening audience, to, to get ideas into what to write about. Uh, speaking of questions, before we get into this, I left you with a question, right, or really a, a request and a challenge at the end of our time together last week in the book of Genesis, and that was the request to hear from you. And the question, can I hear from you? And I did get some feedback, and some interesting observations, just not about what we're talking about in the book of Genesis, but, but specifically the person and figure of Joseph. So Maria from Florida says, maybe the thing that strikes me more than anything else is that after reading the narrative of Joseph again for the fourth time, I can see that it is possible that God can raise a spiritual man to great authority in an immoral culture. And I like that observation, and certainly that'll be something we talk about here in the future as we get more into this, if not today, tomorrow, over the next few weeks. Yeah, that's an excellent point. You know, 
<laughs> all you have to do is look around you today and, and see that there's a great deal of immorality. And we should have confidence that when we are praying for God to work in our day and age, work in and through people of power, that yeah, God can actually raise a spiritual man up and, and use that man. And this is what we are always praying for, right? That it is possible <laughs> that God can raise a spiritual man to great authority in an immoral culture. Now, the second observation comes from Stephanie in Alabama. And she says, maybe the one thing that strikes me more than anything else is the length of this narrative that's tied to Joseph. Stephanie says, and really she's here asking the question, is this the longest narrative around any one figure in the book of Genesis? Well, if you were to draw this out, I haven't gone back to this in detail per se, but I would say Joseph, you're right, certainly is a figure that gets a, a lot of airtime, but probably equal to Abraham. And I think, as I've already highlighted, that does point to something, the greatness of Joseph. And we can even bring this back to the first point that Maria made from Florida, in that part of what makes this story so great is that you have this spiritual man elevated to, really, the second man in charge. And this is what we are going to be reading about this evening, how he really rises to be the prime minister to the Pharaoh. And to really detail that out, and just not detail that out, but speak to its relevance and importance for Israel, is going to take a while. So, from Maria to Stephanie, and Stephanie back to Maria, I would say to the two of you, your points aren't so dissimilar, if you will, as we kind of look at this narrative for what it is, especially in the light of uh, how God is working in and through the person of Joseph. All right, with that, why don't we go ahead and turn to chapter 41. And uh, again, God willing, if we get through this chapter, I will read verses 37 to 57, kind of pausing in between as needed. All right, verse 37. This proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a man as this in whom is the Spirit of God? Remember what we talked about last Tuesday? I really ended with that verse highlighting the Pharaoh's confidence in Joseph. He didn't need to see what Joseph was talking about. He just had the confidence and the trust that what Joseph said was going to come to pass. Certainly, there must have been something going on as it relates to how Joseph was communicating holiness, this Spirit of God, right? So verse 39 reads, So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discreet and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. Wow! <laughs> Did you hear that? This is an Israelite who was isolated from his 11 brothers, right? And here he is rising to, to such great power as what struck Maria from Florida earlier, right? So verse 40 again, And you shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command only as regards the throne. Will I be greater than you? And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. 
Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and rayed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him to ride in his second chariot and they cried before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent no man shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphonath-Paniah, and he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. All right, so let us hit the pause button there and just offer up a few words, and, and I think I would like to explore this really in more theological depth, because there's something going on in these verses that is very, very relevant to the wider scope of salvation history. Certainly in verses 39 to 44, we see, as touched upon, Joseph being promoted to this position of vizier or prime minister of Egypt, right, where he has been now given authority over the royal house. Now again, this makes him the highest official in the land next to Pharaoh. And how do we know this? Because of what? But the signet ring. You see, my friends, the signet ring is a symbol of authority, of power. It charges him to promulgate royal decrees. And what does the Pharaoh do? Well, he dresses him with the finest linen and gold. Now, what's interesting here is that the prestige of the prime minister was really widely recognized in the ancient Near East, where similar government positions were held in various kingdoms. We see this in Babylon, we see this in Persia, and most importantly for you and I this evening, we see this in Israel. In point of fact, we see this on a number of occasions in Israel. Recall that all-important passage in Isaiah chapter 22 that we could say anticipates Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. You see, my friends, what is going on here in Genesis chapter 41, verses 39 to 44, is something very similar to what happens in Isaiah chapter 22, which anticipates what Christ does. What am I talking about? Well, let's kind of set this whole uh, teaching up. If you were to go to Isaiah chapter 22, what do you see? Well, the Lord instructed Isaiah to inform Shebna, who was then prime minister, that his term in office was finished and he would soon be thrown out of public office, in disgrace, really. Next, the prophet was told that a better man, an honorable and faithful steward, would replace Shebna. And who was that? Eliakim. Let us turn to Isaiah chapter 22. And I think we will go ahead and read verses 17 to 23. See if you hear the similarities to Genesis chapter 41, verses 39 to 44. And then we will see how this Isaiah passage anticipates the passage in Matthew chapter 16. Isaiah chapter 22, verse 17 reads, Behold, the Lord will hurl you away violently, O you strong man. Here uh, he's talking about Shebna. He will seize firm hold on you and whirl you round and round and throw you like a ball into a wide land. There you shall die, and there shall be your splendid chariots, you shame of your master's house. I will thrust you from your office, and you will be cast down from your station. 
In that day, I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe and will bind your girl on him. Do you hear the language, right? Some of that language that we found in Genesis 41. And will commit your authority to his hand, and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. And I will fasten him like a peg in a sure place, and he will become a throne of honor to his father's house. Brothers and sisters in Christ, does that sound familiar? Yeah, well, you're highlighting this. Joe, we just read it. But here's the thing. It's more than just an echo. Again, it's a verse that anticipates, points to a fulfillment, right? I mean, if this were the only mentioning of the key of David in the Bible, then there would be no fuss, my friends. There really wouldn't be. There'd be no reason to bring this up. There'd be no reason to marvel. But there is reason to marvel. There is reason to clamor because of what happens in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20, where we read, if you flip there now, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do men say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the powers of death shall not prevail against it. Hear this verse. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From Genesis chapter 41, verses 39 to 44, we fast forward to Isaiah 22 to see how the Israelite kingdom is not so different from the Egyptian kingdom, and how the Israelite kingdom being run during the time of the kingdom of David, anticipates Christ himself as the fulfillment and Peter as the fulfillment of this king-prime minister relationship. My friends, just as Eliakim in Isaiah chapter 22 would assume the role of prime minister over the house of David, does Peter assume the role of prime minister over the new house of David? Remember, my friends, that Matthew places an emphasis on Jesus Christ being the son of David, we touched upon this recently, that eight times does Matthew identify Jesus as the Lamb of God, King of Kings, Prince of Peace? No, son of David, because he wanted his audience to see that Jesus Christ is the son of David, and he's come to establish the new house of David, just as the prophet Amos talked about, right? So just as Eliakim, would assume the role of prime minister, so does Peter, over the new house of David. A role of power and authority that is symbolized in the keys and the language of binding and loosening, shutting and opening. The Pharaoh gave Joseph the signet ring 
to show the whole kingdom that he is entrusting to Joseph this great role of prime minister, second man in charge. Brothers and sisters, again, what Jesus Christ is doing in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20 is clear, very, very clear. And we have to see this for what it is, that Jesus Christ established Peter as the first pope, insofar as we translate pope as what? But father, just in as Isaiah, we saw Eliakim being a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Well, there is a new father, my friends, and a new Jerusalem. And Christ gave the keys to Peter to be the first pope, papa, to the new Jerusalem. And this is why you see Peter three times more than every other apostle. This is why Peter is constantly speaking up. This is why we see Peter aspiring to the supernatural as he walks on water. Did he fall? Yes, because brothers and sisters in Christ, popes fall. But what is Jesus saying? Do you not have faith? A question we should all hear and respond to. Again, the Catholic Church has withstood the test of time. Did Jesus say, I will build your church? I will build a church. I will build the church. No, I will build my church. It has withstood the test of time because man didn't start the church, but Christ himself did. And when we carefully follow history, while we see the ebb and flow and ups and downs of the life of the church, what we ultimately see in the end is that God is a father who keeps his promises when he says, I will be with you always. And he is in the church. I hit the pause button to talk about how we see throughout salvation history, God's own kingdom run like something that's suggested in verses 39 to 44, as it points to the Pope. I know there's questions that are raised. And yeah, raise those questions insofar as it gets to the heart of truth. And so this is what we pray for. This is what we seek. This is what we actively desire by the grace of God. Okay, all that being said, not to derail our conversation too far, right? Um, but I did want to say what I said and, and, and speak to what I did. Now, moving forward, verse 46. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now, wait a second. <laughs> 30 years old, 30 years. I mean, this is brothers and sisters a full 13 years after Joseph dreamed of greatness. We made a point in recent weeks to talk about chapter 40, verse one, the sometime after this and chapter 41, verse one, after two whole years to talk about, we cannot be on our time, but God's time. We can't reduce all revelation to chronology, but we have to be open to chirology. That is to say, we can't reduce our understanding of how God works in a man's conception of time, but God's conception of time, whereby we are open to the very fact that God is out of time, and we can only understand how God works in time in and through his grace, right? Kairos is simply grace time, purpose-driven time. Ah, in God's time. Maybe some of you out there right now are saying to yourself, man, I need this to happen right now. 
or tomorrow or a week from now or a month from now. I hope this happens six months from now in God's time. Maybe you're dreaming of something great and you're pursuing it fervently. And in your mind, it's just taking so long. What does James 1 verse 4 say? Patience, perseverance, perfects our faith. I mean, what do you think of when you hear the word 30? But Jesus and his public ministry, right? How Jesus, the son of God, the God man, must have dreamed of greatness all his days with Mary and Joseph. Finally, I'm sure he said in his humanity, it is time when he turned 30. Joseph, turning 30, says, is this the greatness I dreamed of? Maybe so. Maybe this is the greatness I dreamed of. Okay, we continue. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plenteous years, the earth brought forth abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of the seven years when there was plenty in the land of Egypt and stored up food in the cities. He stored up in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Isn't that interesting? For it could not be measured. What's going on there? What have we said about God's love being limitless, inexhaustible? I've even used the analogy of grains of sand to say that while there might be billions and billions and billions of grains of sand, what we know is that it is limited. Yet it's very hard for us to conjure that up, that grains of sand are actually limited because there's so much. It's, it's all but immeasurable. And this is what is going on here. Well, it's all but immeasurable. Yet, I would say to you, suggest to you, if we had a million people in all their lifetimes, we probably could count all those grains of sand. It's as if this verse points to the much deeper truth that is God's love and the fact that <laughs> it is not portioned out. What do we read in John chapter 3, verse 34? Jesus Christ saying, I do not portion out my gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. I don't just give a little bit to you and a little bit to you and a little bit to you. I give all of myself to all of you. Interesting. Like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Verse 50. Before the year of famine came, Joseph had two sons whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. You probably heard that word before, that name, right? For he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So here we read Joseph fathering two sons by his Egyptian wife. Manasseh, whose name basically means in the Hebrew, God has made me forget. And Ephraim, whose name in the Hebrew means God has made me fruitful. These names, my friends, are reflective of Joseph's joy and contentment. Joseph is enjoying life. He suffered greatly, yes, but he finds a strength in God and he has been blessed in abundance. And as a gesture back to God as an offering, he names his two sons 
Manasseh, and Ephraim. I love that. Remember that, my friends. Maybe one of you or two of you or many of you listeners out there are pregnant. And you're thinking about different names. I want to name my daughter this. I want to name my son that. Often those names that come to mind are reflective of our relationships. Hopefully we are discerning the meaning of our names and how that meaning captures something about our relationship with God and and how God has blessed us. Amen? Amen. All right. These closing verses to chapter 41. The seven years of plenty that prevailed in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. Again, remember, he's prime minister, right? He's, he's the vizier. He is the second guy in charge. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. So all the earth was blessed by one man's gift to interpret dreams. Does that sound like another Joseph to you? The New Testament Joseph who interpreted a dream that was tied to Egypt, he fled to Egypt, and the whole world was blessed? This is the kind of beautiful symmetry that we discover when we read the old in light of the new and the new in light of the old. Amen? Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.